You are the power of this cosmos. You are pure intelligence. You are unspeakable beauty. You are in perfect harmony with the entire cosmos. Stars and unknown stars, <laughs> sun and moon, air and light, the beautiful plant kingdom of mother nature, the waters. <laughs> this is your context. Male-female collaboration and same-sex or opposite-sex intimacy, that power is yours. And you're allowed to have that. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Heart of Yoga podcast. And I'm so happy to introduce everybody listening to the wonderful Karen Williams. She's beaming in to our ears from New York City, I believe. Is that right, Karen? That's right. And she is uh, an incredible woman. She is a, a producer. She's, uh, in her words, equally at home in front of or behind the camera. She, uh, she's an incredible intuitive healer, I would say, and an uh, intuitive person. And she is doing wonderful work in the world, reframing the way we look at aging, beauty, and um, the entire mess that has been made out of that realm of life. And she is a dear friend of Mark's, and I'm so happy to introduce this conversation to you all. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Karen. Hello, Karen. Thank you for having me. Hi, Mark. It's so yeah. lovely to hear you. Thanks for giving some of your precious time to the world today via our Heart of Yoga podcast. I'm so happy to be speaking with you one more time. I'm, I'm honored, as always, to, to be with you as well, my friend. I want to start this conversation. I remember our first meeting. It was in quite a sacred place in the United States, the home of Jiddu Krishnamurti in Ojai, California. And mm -hmm. uh, we were hosting a workshop over there, and you came over from New York, and we met. On that particular occasion... I had flown from Bali and had arrived completely exhausted. It's a long, long flight. Uh, and I'd had a motorcycle accident in Bali and my leg was, felt like it was falling off. It had turned blue. Do you remember mm -hmm. this? And you came. Of course, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, you came to me and you sat with me and you laid hands on mm -hmm. me. And, mm -hmm. uh, something happened. There was a um, mm -hmm. relief of pain. There was uh, sort of like a sense of, I'm going to be okay <laughs> in mm -hmm. your company. And uh, there was some sort of healing process that you uh, enacted through laying on of hands. Uh, I remember saying to you, oh my goodness, are you some kind of healer woman? You know, are you a witch woman? Do you have special powers? <laughs> are you one of those women of the ancient world who had a powerful uh, connection to the elemental world, to the seen and the unseen world of power? <laughs> and mm. <laughs> I, I sort of looked at you and said, is this, is this what it is? <laughs> How come you do that? And... Um, I can't quite remember how you answered it. So I ask you again, are you some kind of seer woman from an ancient uh -huh. place? Could you explain yourself, please? Right. Well, I, I think that, Mark, we are all healers. We are our own healers. 
And we, we only have to be able to tap into or being given the tools to, to relearn how to tap into our own healing. And there are times when, whether it's exhaustion or stress or actual dis-ease in the body that causes an imbalance. And some people, you know, experience extremes of that and they're very, very sick. And other people, um, you know, just have some kind of imbalance. Um, We can tap into that. And one of the reasons that I I was motivated to come to you is I wanted to... um, to build on my integrative toolkit. And I wanted to be able to be at the seat of someone who was teaching the real yoga, not the acrobatic, you know, manifestations of an, uh, an elastic band, but the real principles of the breath and how to use the breath to inform the movement. And how to then, I, my task for myself would be how to integrate some of those teachings into my practice with Qigong and other kinds of modalities that are very healing to the body. And yeah. so when, when you deal with subtle energy, which you know as someone who has, you know, been a practitioner for a very long time of yoga, you know that you can sense things, um, your intuitive ability becomes even more pronounced, more honed. And what I saw and I often see in someone is areas of imbalance or if there is an area of uh, pain, I sometimes can see that, I can sense that. And, you know, chi, prana, uh, energy, we we have all these fancy words, right? So sometimes I I almost don't want to say the fancy words because... It's better to say energy because everyone gets energy. But you know, when yep. you are, you know, you're, you meet someone, right? And you have such a strong sense of uh, who this person is, even though you have no idea, you have no, no, you have no forewarning or no big bio on them or anything, but you just sense their presence or feel something about them. That's energy working. That's our intuitive ability using its 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 ability to communicate without words and essentially through the practice of a lot of breath work a lot of movement and practice with yoga and qigong i have been able to um become more sensitive to the subtle energies and that's what allows me to then uh be more sensitive to someone else's energetic imbalance and it's not me doing the healing it's me taking the energies that I'm sensing around the the room or the the space that we're in. We just happen to be in beautiful Ojai, California, which has all these trees and there's the sky, there's the air, and then literally putting that into the area of imbalance in with you and using my breath and in a sense, um, you know, uh, synchronizing that with yours so that I can sense the energetic flow that within your body, get in touch with that, and then help to transmit that to you so that you become then the unblocker of whatever block you are having or the facilitator of whatever healing you are having. And I say this really carefully because I think it's a, a little bit presumptuous for us to call someone a healer 
when it almost excuses us of our own ability to do our own healing. And this is not to say that we don't need doctors and we don't need integrative practitioners because they can all facilitate the healing. But if we are not an active participant in that, then it's virtually impossible for someone to have a total healing. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I'm loving what you're laying down here. Uh, the democratization of healing. <laughs> you know, that everybody, everybody is a healer and everybody can and does participate in their own healing, facilitated by somebody who cares for you. Do you agree with that? That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And in fact, that's such an important point to bring up. I, I feel like the, the basis of my being really is, is love. I wake up in the morning and I say, how can I serve? And I don't say that lightly. This is a really important thing for me to do. I may not do my, whatever practice I have, I may not do it every day, but if I do not wake up and say, how can I serve? Or let me be in service. And, you know, so that wherever I show up, whomever I speak with, whatever I do, even if it's just to myself, it's how can I be of service or in service? I think that's so important. That's important to me anyway. And, and the center of that, the motivation for that is love. Yeah. Your words are moving me very much, Karen. Thank you so much. Mm heart to heart down these pipes around the world, hearing these words from you and others mm. hear these words. So I'm very happy to have you explain these things. We, as a, as a society, we are all suffering so much that we look for the easy answer, don't we? The easy solution, the easy pill, the person mm. that's going to come and fix us. And you're really saying... This, uh, this doesn't work. There is a requirement for uh, participation in your own life, in your own power, the, your own healing process. There is no magic pill. No, there isn't. Absolutely. In fact, I, this is an oft-quoted Rumi um, saying that I, I, I mess up constantly, but to paraphrase it, it's, it's you know, I put the light on the wound mm. and by definition, the wound usually is not painless, right? Yeah. But somehow we as a, you know, we as people tend to want to avoid suffering, avoid discomfort, avoid pain. Yeah. And I think that we almost in our, we've been taught or we have somehow figured out on our own that the, the easy way is to kind of, you know, sidestep the hard stuff and just go to what feels good so we honor joy and laughter more than we do tears yep. and, and suffering. And, and honestly, we experience our greatest growth through discomfort. And it is when we look back, we can appreciate that, but we're in it. It sucks, right? So, yep. of course, it's going to be who, who doesn't want ice cream every day, right? But is that going to really be the nutrition that's going to give us a balanced diet? No, of course not. Yep. And so I, I actually, I've learned and, and, and maybe this is also, you know, just through my own life, I've learned that it's a beautiful thing to be able to use my breath to interrogate my, my body and my emotions and not just interrogate them, but to observe them and to move beyond the observation to actually 
to touch, to to hold, to allow, to put a spotlight on areas that are not comfortable, that are painful even, and yeah. that somehow that allows a release. So what does that mean in a tangible way? It means when you're, you know, laying down in, um, in the corpse position or if you're going to bed or you're just waking up, before getting out of bed, it means, you know, just observing your, your body, becoming like a child. We call it beginner's curiosity and using the breath and moving the breath almost like a, a flashlight, if you will, and pulling it from one extreme part of your body to the next. So I often start with my toes. And so I'm pulling my breath from my toes to my ankles, through my calves, into my knees, into my thighs, my hips, my belly, my heart center, moving it through my fingertips, my wrists, my elbows, my armpits, into my shoulders, through my back, up my spine, into my side of my neck, my jaw, my ears, the back of my head, the sides of my head, my cheekbones, front of my face, into my eyes, probing it all the way through the middle of my forehead, into the top of my head, and then wash the breath down your body, almost like a wave. Wow. And if you keep on doing that, if you keep on doing it, and my, so notice I, I, I know the terms, but I never used any fancy, spancy terms because that may put someone off who doesn't understand any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it makes it accessible. Everyone wakes up. Everyone goes to bed. Everyone lies down at some point. Yeah. Right. And if you can't lie down, you're sitting. And just that becomes a meditation, a an inquiry that provides a certain intimacy with the body, with self. And so if you are in discomfort, if there are areas of pain, if there is dis-ease in some part of your body, if you are in a hospital bed breathing on a ventilator, if you are able to do that, because you can do it starting with your, if your mind is clear, you're able to do that. And the breath, if you allow it, if you put enough attention in the areas that feel a little uh, damper, a little hotter, a little colder, um, a little more tight, a little, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is. I don't want to say what it is, but if it feels different, if there's less ease in that, if you just put attention there. So pause the flashlight, pause the breath, if you will, in that area. Don't hold the breath, but then just keep on breathing in that area. And I challenge anybody to try that over and over and over again. And I know that you're going to have some release, even if it's just a little bit. But so going back to the way I started is the breath becomes our tool, our free tool to make us present with our bodies, make us the most intimate that we can be with ourselves. And it also becomes, becomes a thing that allows the ease and the opening of discomfort, pain, um, and then that is what precipitates healing. Right. And healing does not mean you're going to miraculously recover from something. Healing does not mean someone is going to get better from something. 
What I have learned, Mark, is that sometimes healing just means bearing witness. Sometimes healing just simply means I'm present. I'm not afraid to be here. It's giving me a little bit of ease that I didn't have before. It's even incremental, even if it's so incremental, but it's a little bit more than, and you did it on your own. You didn't rely on somebody else. There was no drug here. There was no, you know, what else's hands here. And I find that the more intimate I am able to be and the more present I am able to be through my breath, I'm then able to be intimate and present with another because I've started with myself. Yeah. Well, as you spoke those words then, Karen, that that really that uh, whole body meditation that you just took us through, it happened to me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Mm. I went through mm. my toes to my crown, facilitated by you. And uh, mm. <laughs> something happened in this uh, dialogue with you, in this relationship with you, just then. <laughs> I want to tell you that. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. And you know, you see how it could be then, it could be shared with anybody. You don't need to do yoga. You don't need to know anything about anything. You just have to be alive. Even if I've done it with people in the hospital, I've done it with someone on a ventilator. I've done it with someone in the ICU and it works and it's nothing complicated. It's the breath. I want to say that in our world, in uh, the ancient world that I'm somewhat uh, familiar with, uh, you are called a yogini or a dakini a sky dancer, you know, someone, a woman who is identical to the powers of the cosmos. You are Mm. indeed the power of the cosmos. And you're kind enough to say, of course, that everybody is, (laughs) which is one of the sort of uh, signs or qualifying indicators that somebody is actually a Dakini because there's a humility there and uh, the acknowledgement that everybody is in the same state. Everybody is the power of the cosmos. And you um, boldly and clearly bring this fact through uh, to the world in your communications in every way that you do that. And I just want to thank you, Karen, for, for being this in the modern world. And I also want to be a little sober here. There's that women like you have been written out of the history of spirituality. It's uh, it be, from the 14th century onward, it became a male. I'm talking India and Tibet. However, uh, Europe, of course, has its own version of the same story, is that the women were written out of history and in male um, orthodoxy and misogyny, they were considered to be uh, not relevant to the dharmas, uh, these, the spiritual teachings that they were building their power structure upon. And... I just see how you and your work today, you are striding through that dreadful paradigm that built our civilization. And you have something clear as a bell to give to the world that is ending that, that hierarchical idiocy, you know? And mm-hmm. I just want to acknowledge you for that. You are indeed, in that language, uh, a Dakini. And... Also, let's not be naive about it. Like 100, 150 years ago, they would have burnt you at the stake. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. allowed to have these special powers of the cosmos. 
<laughs> it's mm -hmm. a, you are disputing the the uh, exclusive divine agency that was sold as the as the mechanism of power in this world. Mm -hmm. so that's that's who you are and what you've done. And I also love that you don't need to call it yoga. You don't need to call yourself a yoga teacher. And yoga has been taught so badly as sort of gymnastics and insidiously linked up to selling fashion and everything else that you, uh, you're happy to give this into your world uh, without particularly identifying it around that modality or that language, you know. And I, mm -hmm. paradoxically, I think you reach a lot, a lot more people uh, by just talking straight terms, you know. Well, you were actually very helpful, Mark, in, 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 in this, extremely helpful. Three things. The first thing, when you're talking, I, I couldn't help but imagine Maya Angelou saying, you may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Yay. My sassiness upset you. Um, you know, I love her. And so I, I think that we rise. So there was a time that someone like me would have been absolutely burned. But yeah. I'm a phoenix, honey, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to emerge from those ashes and I'm going to rise. And women yeah. like me, we show it all the time. We will find a way to rise. And the second thing I wanted to say was, I didn't emerge or just just become all of this. It, it, my my life, like most of us, has been a you know a series of many things of working not not working. It's just um, acquiring a knowledge. I'm I, the things that there's so many things that you've taught me, Mark, and I'm I'm almost spilling over my thoughts before I can speak. But the mm -hmm. one I wanted to to share was um, the sense of 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 being enough yeah. and um when you say that you know we are the beauty of the cosmos i i specifically remember and i've said i've, I've told this story many times before so if anyone is listening and they've heard me repeat it it's worth repeating so just listen Go for it. we were having a talk and um i was sharing with you a an experience i had with a group of young women who were recently incarcerated on rikers island and I was a facilitator of a workshop, um, and I uh, had given them a an exercise to describe um, these roses that I had given to each of them. And one young woman, Lauren, described the roses as being, you know, um, the elegance and the thorns and and the the aroma, and it was so beautiful her description. But I also then gave them an exercise to describe I remember when. And so Lauren's I remember when was harrowing. I mean, harrowing. It was I remember when my, you know, mother was murdered. I remember when this person was killed. It just every time you, you felt that she was going to come to, you know, an end, it just was turning a corner to go up another hill. And as a facilitator of a workshop, you know, you're with them so they're present emotionally. I felt like I couldn't breathe almost. And um, and I said to her, I said, Lauren, and now you can remember when. And I just I took her words at describing the rose and I read them back to her. And when I shared that story to to you, Mark, you sagely said, 
And the next time you have a Lauren in your workshop, you tell Lauren that she is the rose. And this goes back to you are the beauty of the cosmos. There's no striving to get to some place. You don't, there's no, like the sunset is beautiful, but you are the sunset. And, um, and I've, I've taken that so strongly in my own life and in my own conversations and, and, and workshops with other people. And it's so important, especially around the subject of beauty, aging, uh, and, and how it relates to women in particular. Yeah. So as you know, I had taken about 30 years away from modeling and I had done many things. I worked as a producer in many capacities as an actor. I ran a healthcare uh, company and I returned to modeling with the explicit goal to, uh, to impact somehow the conversation around rebranding aging. I was concerned about the representation of aging, especially because I saw very few women of color who were doing it in a very honest way. We have, we live in such a hyper curated world that, you know, we have these wonderful, uh, you know, tools from social media and we have uh, Photoshop. We have all these things that give us such an unrealistic and hyper idealized sense of ourselves and also the world. And I wanted to create at least or contribute some kind of honesty to that conversation. And I can't tell you how many times someone will say, oh, wow, that's such a great picture. And I have to say, hey, you know what? I had a photographer. I had lighting. I had a makeup artist. I had a hairdresser. I had clothes. Do you have five or six people plus an entire set taking care of you to take that picture? And plus, if they want to edit it afterwards, I mean, I have to be real, right? So that, and also, why are you looking at me? You know, they say, oh, I don't have the courage to say, but you are the beauty that you're looking at. You are the rose. You are this incredible universe. And when people are able to hear that they are, that they don't have to compete, they don't have to measure themselves with something else and somebody else. The liberation in that is so incredibly huge. I mean, oh my God, it's, it's, it's like they have won the lottery, but it's all about them. And it's almost as if you, you, you know, um, uh, Derek Walcott's wonderful poem about um, um, love after love. And there's a line in it where he says, he says to you, the time will come when with elation you will feast on your life. And that's what it gives people permission to do, to feast on themselves, not in an egotistical way, but to really claim their light, claim their power instead of always looking outside for it and measuring against some other ideal. Yeah. And let's take it all the way. I mean, the reason that those women were incarcerated in U.S. prisons was from the very fact that they were denied the knowledge of their own beauty, their own reality, and Mm. cast in this social conditioning that there's a future reward for you somewhere else, somehow else, and you don't have it just now, and you've got to get it, you know, and the whole society driven to that, in that um, presumption of a future prize in life, you know? Right. 
But I, I also think we have to question whose interest is it to perpetuate fear around what we look like and certainly around how we are aging. Yeah. It, it, who benefits from that fear? Yeah. And, you know, and, and this is complicated for someone like me because I, I, I certainly have worked for many, you know, cosmetic and beauty brands. Um, and I'm constantly challenging them. You know, they're, they're, they're paying my, my, you know, they're paying me to do a job. And yet I'm saying to them, well, can you stop using the term anti before aging? There's nothing wrong with aging. There's something wrong with ageism. And so if we could be, you know, if we could just say it's a moisturizer and are there challenges with respect to aging? Yes, of course there are. There are challenges with respect to living and aging is living. Um, But we don't have to perpetuate fear so that it's out of fear that people will buy more to fix things or they'll want to commit to plastic surgery or to be some ideal that is not organic to their own body and that's I'm going back to you again Mark what I learned from you is you have your own practice you don't need to go to a yoga class you have your own practice that is individualized for your body and your needs not someone else's now do I like being in the sangha in the circle absolutely I love hanging out with folks And I love vibing with everyone. There's an energy about being in a room. That's what we're missing so much now with this coronavirus. We're not able to be physically be with each other. And there is some magic that happens then. But when we do go back to that, which we eventually will, we, we, I'm hoping that we're able to take away some of the, the skills that we are acquiring in this period. And that is not self-reliance, because I think that's a really, you know, it's a little bit of a faulty term. We, we need someone. Everyone needs someone. Like you always say, yoga is relationship. Yeah. Life is about who you love, who you're connected to, and it is lonely when you don't have anyone to love or to, you know, to connect to. It really is. And that's not the way we want to live. But we, we, we ought to be able to then take the practice of being a li- being able to have our own you know movement our own breath work our own exercise of interrogating our own bodies our own affirmation that we are the beauty of this cosmos that we are the rose right we have we yep. we ought to be able to carry that with us when we go back to a group setting well i think you know on that sacred land of ohi where the shumak native indigenous people of your land where they traveled in their sacred pathways, you know. We made that statement in the room uh, is that the rose looks at the rose. The beauty sees the beauty. And something like a lightning bolt came down on your head and you you knew the obviousness of that statement, that fact. Yes. And uh, it, it went in, it's, you know, in the Indian traditions, it's called Shaktipat, you know, where something goes in <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. logic and it's, you know, it's indisputable fact, reinforms or reorientates a life. And now you're out there uh, giving that to everybody else. And I'm so happy to hear that. 
you know, just to recap this, the, the statement that I love, love to make is to people is that you, know, you, you have noticed, haven't you, that everything in the natural world is unspeakable beauty. Everything, you know, a leaf, a star, a bee, sunlight on the water. Uh, and then I say, and guess what? You are of the natural world. You are that beauty. You are the beauty. <laughs> you don't have to get mm -hmm. the beauty. You are the beauty. And when you mm -hmm. see the rose or the sunset, it is beauty that sees beauty. And mm -hmm. people are deeply relieved, aren't they, when that, they cognize that fact and stop looking for the future, the future beauty, the future attainment. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a really beautiful way of putting it. You, there is a relief. Yeah. You know, you take the pressure off. And, and also, there's a relief when you say, look at the way the leaves turn. Yeah. You know, there, yeah. the, the, and, 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 and every season, nature is showing us that it is beautiful. We are beautiful in every season of our lives. And that directly correlates with aging. Yeah. And Karen, in that you've had a career in the, you know, the secular world of, of attractivism, you know, and that you now have a very powerful voice because you've been through it. You've explored it in every dimension. And uh, I bring forth this word acharya. Uh, the, the teacher, the acharya, is one who's had victory over your own difficulties and your own restrictions. And I think you've spent some time in, you know, self-inquiry about those restrictions. And you kind of come through into this world as power, as beauty, <laughs> yeah, as intrinsic harmony with the cosmos. And now you speak and you can speak to those, you know, brand marketing people about this matter. And they understand what you're saying. They understand just by the mere image of you the mere sighting of you, you know, and your words. So, you know, as my mother said to me, don't let anything hold you back. You know, your voice, <laughs> yeah, your voice is strong out there. And, uh, well, you know, I feel, I, you know, Mark, I, I, I feel some of them hear me. I think that, as you know, change comes incrementally. We want it, you know, sometimes all of it all at once, and that's not the case. Yeah. And so there, you know, we live in a globally, uh, a globally aging population in every country in the world, pretty much. I mean, the African continent and India, they have young populations, but there's still a significant um, group of people who are aging. And we're having to rethink the way societies are, 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 are shaped, even the way we, you know, the infrastructure, how are we going to accommodate the needs of an aging global population. Yeah. Japan has had more practice with this by inviting retirees back into the workforce because they didn't have enough people coming into the workforce and replenishing. That's an unusual situation. So they're, they're sort of ahead of the game. But we are, we are now having four generations all at the same time trying to work in the workforce. And instead of pitting the younger people against the oldest of old people and saying, you know, in the U.S., for example, um, uh, oh, uh, you know, you're taking our, um, our, our money, the young people, to the old, old people. Not that they're saying that, but some people like to suggest that, you know, 
that yeah. somehow it's because the pensioners are around that the young, young people aren't getting the breaks or if you don't retire, it's not going to have enough jobs for, but there has to be a thought about connecting the different generations because there is something to learn from each generation. Ageism works for the young, against the young, and it works against the old. It doesn't discriminate. And like all isms, it's a social construct. And as I mentioned before, it's made up so that very specific entities can benefit. And it's usually promulgated by some kind of fear. And the fear in it is what I'm trying to put the spotlight on so that people can be aware of it and they are not falling into the trap. But I tell you, I don't know if I'm winning half the time because it's so firmly entrenched in our psyches, even our individual psyches, that we are having to unlearn so much. So I'm certainly sounding the alarm. I mean, with respect to communities of color, you know, I, I, I sometimes make the parallel. It took a long time for us to dismantle um, the, in terms of fashion and beauty, to dismantle the absence of, uh, of women, for the most part, who are, you know, darker skinned or women who are fuller body. It took a long time for fashion and beauty to embrace that. And it's still happening slowly. So now I'm trying to introduce, well, on top of that, we have to have age as a necessary criteria for diversity and inclusion. So the buzzwords now are all about diversity and inclusivity. And I'm always like, well, where's, where's the person who's older? And don't you dare only put a white person in there who's older. Because in my world, there are so many people of color who are aging. And in fact, in most countries, like whether it's the Indian continent or the, the, the African continent, there are intergenerational dwellings that everyone is exposed to grandmothers and great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers and grandfathers. So we don't have a problem seeing people who are older. So we have to be careful that we don't embrace a more Eurocentric fear of aging that is not endemic to our own cultures. Yeah, um, ageism is one of the prejudices that is not even known to be a prejudice. That's, you know, we can speak clearly about racism, for example, as the world is finally, thank God. But this ageism remains hidden, not even considered. And even uh, it's one of the last prejudices that is somehow even socially acceptable to be prejudice towards the age, the aged, because they're looking, you know, wrinkly and a little haggard, is somehow okay. (laughs) Yes. And and of course, it's not okay. um, Because the beauty that we just spoke about, the beauty that is the cosmos, is Mm -hmm. the intrinsic condition of every person, every creature, every plant, you know, every star. And so this is uh, a mind warp that, uh, you know, we can go back to why it happened and, you know, how it happened through European uh, colonialism and colonial cruelty and all of that. But, you know, in the indigenous cultures that I'm familiar with of the South Pacific, if you make your life through 
to 60 and you've made it. You're in a special VIP room of your society. <laughs> you get inherent honoring from your community because you've made it through. No. Mm -hmm. In the indigenous world, this ageism is not there. What is there? Right. Completely the opposite. The elders are highly regarded for, their, for who they are and their life experience and so forth. And so, the, the, and, and that mark exactly because, and those indigenous voices and experiences aren't part of the mainstream experience, and they have got to somehow be um, more highlighted so that it can become more ubiquitous. Because yeah. what you're saying now is absolutely true, but what dominates, you know, popular culture is not indigenous voices and indigenous cultures. Yeah. Well, your voices now clear as a bell and it's out there and it's a, uh, it's a booming voice. And I'm so happy when I see the vehicles that you're creating for your voice and this, you know, this level playing field now of social media that we have and you're out there and, and you're having your say, whereas before you were hidden, as I said, women like you, you were pushed out into the forest. You were forest dwellers. <laughs> You couldn't even come right. into the village. You were too scary for the people. Right. Now, now you're in the village and your voice is being heard and you've had a lifetime of going through the, you know, the media process and how the public are manipulated through media and the, uh, the youth um, uh, power that is held, you know, when your skin is, is uh, <laughs> not straight, not, not wrinkling, you know. You have a special power as a as a young person, and uh, it hasn't dawned on society yet. For everybody that goes, for everybody it goes. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I also think too that that it, it is the universal experience that you're mentioning. But it also we have to be mindful of the intersectionalities with respect to ageism. So that in my case, I'm a woman. I'm a black woman. And I'm also, you know, talking about ageism. So potentially, I'm, it's potentially, if there's sexism, racism, and ageism, those are the intersections that I, I would experience sometimes all at once. Right. Right. And, and I don't live my life in a defensive mode. I just live my life. But I'm very aware that women like me and women who don't have platinum men as well, who don't have platforms to articulate, as you're mentioning, yeah. um, they're experiencing those intersectionalities all the time. So if my voice is one voice to at least start yeah. the conversation, then so be it. Yeah, it's an education process, isn't it? And communication into the world. Mm. But it can, it can come from you, whereas uh, some other folk don't have that that facilitation available to them to speak to the world mm -hmm. and perhaps um, mm -hmm. suffer it silently, you know, unheard. Mm -hmm. And in a practical, uh, you know, practically speaking, Mark, when you think about the, the way that some of the principles and practices of yoga are able to, you know, lend itself to, you know, adapting to all populations and all ages, what sorts of things do you think are, I have my thoughts, but I'm going to ask you this time, um, what sorts of things and practices or do you feel are most helpful 
for the body as the body goes through its different seasons. So I'm, I'm specifically thinking of, you know, people who are 65 and over, which is the boomer generation, which is a huge demographic. Yeah. Well, as you know, um, our great grandfather of modern day yoga, Krishnamacharya, his statement was simply that there is a right yoga for every person, no matter who the person is, that yoga must be adapted to the body type, the age, and the health, and the culture of each person. Now, in his scholarship, he brought that technology that came, that flourished from the 5th to the 14th century. He brought it sort of out into the open, into the modern world. And this as you have experienced it yourself, Karen, is extremely helpful to adapt yoga to the person in, in with complete respect for the individuation and the personal characteristics of that person, you know, uh, culture, age, health, and so forth. And there is a right yoga that anybody can do that is their direct connection to the power of the cosmos to what life actually is, to reality itself. And it's about this uh, unitary movement of body, breath, and mind in the life, in the life energy, in the life beauty, in the life harmony that the body is naturally in, you know, in harmony with air and light and water and the green plant realm, you know, in harmony with the sun and moon and all the ecologies of Mother Earth. This is the, the given situation of every life. So yoga is this simple way of each person participating in that. And this profound matter of the inhale merging with the exhale, the strength of the, of the base of the body and the spine on exhale, receiving from above the inhalation, this receptivity, that strength in life, is receiving completely receptive in the natural state so it's allowing each person to participate in their natural state so this mm -hmm. is why we work so hard for yoga and how you work so hard for it in your own uh in your own network in your own language you know you don't have to call yourself a yoga teacher to communicate this but the simple matter of giving each person their breath and the union mm -hmm. of their inhale with the exhale. You know, the body loves mm -hmm. the breath, and the inhale loves the exhale. The exhale loves the inhale. And I know you're doing this. Um, yes. Yeah, and, I, and you are communicating it. This is how we started this conversation. You gave us a little mm -hmm. <laughs> whole body breathing, and we all went, ah, I feel better. Right. <laughs> Right, 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 right. And this can happen just to, so that, you know, I want the audience to really understand that it doesn't matter how old you are, you can access the breath and the breath could be healing to your body and, and at, at all ages. Exactly. Yeah. Especially, you know, in this, the time of the dreadful pandemic that we're going through, this, uh, to use the the anatomy and the strength of the whole body to be with the breath and enhance the breath. You know, the simple matter of um, the arms coming over the head, even just one arm uh, expands the rib cage, gives more space in the lung cavity for more air to come through. And this is very mm -hmm. helpful for someone who's struggling to, to inhale, for someone who's struggling to receive in the big picture. 
this this is very helpful. We say uh, it's to empty what is full and to fill what is empty. That's the process. Mm -hmm. Empty the lung from the base of the body, then fill the lung. Get rid of what is old to receive what is new. And I do see this as deeply healing process for humanity. You know, the pre-doctrinal yogas, before they turn spiritual advice into business and a power structure, <laughs> there was this uh, egalitarian, non-hierarchical culture of you know, men and women, of course, as obvious equals and opposites in the one, in the one life, in the oneness of life. This, uh, the nurturing power of life that is the union of opposites that brings forth new life, you know, the sap of life uh, springing forth as uh, as all of us, you know. And this was the culture, and it kind of got taken up, well, it, kind of, it did get taken away from humanity. And I, this is what the, these pandemics is what we're going through now to deeply, sincerely review the civilization that we created out of Europe, you know. And Absolutely, and, and, I, and I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to really follow up with what Mark has just said. And if you have elderly, you know, if you're elderly yourself, or when, what is elderly? See, to me, you know, 100, I've worked with people who are over 100. So, yeah. But if, if, you are, if you are someone who has a family member or a friend who you may not be able to see because a lot of people who are in, you know, elderly care homes or nursing homes, and they're not able to see people right now. And that's a particular stressful, you know, situation. But if you can get on Zoom with them or some FaceTime or some kind of way that technology can facilitate an exchange, instead of just, you know, saying hi and waving, the gift would be literally to breathe with them, yeah. to, to move the arms above the head, use the breath, and then the arms will follow. And then just in, if they're sitting in a chair, if they're laying on a bed, if they can see this, if they can experience this, it would be such a, a gift, a lasting gift to impart with, to a loved one. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, in, in Rome, in the ancient days, Karen, the word for breath was spiritus. So mm. breath means spirit. And uh, mm. my friend Yuji Krishnamurti used to love to say, Breath means spirit, and that is all, sir. <laughs> you know? right. The fact is, you see, this, it's a special power that we have to participate in our own breath with the, in the beautiful rhythmic patterns of the breath and body movement. And mm -hmm. it is, see, spirit is not an abstract idea that you, of some sort of thing that you might be able to get to if you're sort of a, a conscientious spiritual person. <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. breath is the uh, spirit is the very basis of the body arising you know this energy that you speak of uh, is is the body is the tangible body mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. this ancient method was to move and breathe in the beautiful uh, rhythms of the breath and that in fact is your connection to spirit yes this is the big gift that uh, you are giving that we uh, trying to give to this world, letting every person know, no matter who they are, young and old, that they are indeed the wonder and the beauty and the spirit mm -hmm. of reality itself. You know? mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. that, and what it does, it mitigates when you know that, when you really embody that, mm-hmm. you don't feel as alone. Yeah, exactly. You feel at one, in the one, in the one reality in which everything is happening. And I yes. think this is a message, of course, for young and old. That, you know, Absolutely. When, when, you're older, when you get older, you said, what is the definition of elderly? Well, perhaps it's just noticing that your youthful body is in decline <laughs> and that your right. youthful, sharp mind might be in decline too. And there's right. a great prejudice to that, of course, because of the you know, the power structures of youthfulness and sexiness and all that nonsense, you know, and the selling Mm -hmm. of fashion and the selling of stuff to people with that, with that uh, methodology. And so you get uh, a little older and those, that youthful form is not there for you. And you can go into a deep, (laughs) you know, emotional decline then, uh, imagining that you're not the power of the cosmos and all of that. So this is... absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> it depends on who you're, what you're defining. What, what is your value? So if your value is your physicality and yep. as you, you know, if your physicality declines and by the way, something could happen, you know, unfortunately to anybody at any age and their physicality could decline. And yep. so to, to place your value on that is so precarious and fleeting. Yep. Um, and then the other thing is, is that there's always a different goalpost. So that this body right now is what, what people want. And then the next time there's another body type that the people want and then another one and another one. And yeah. so you're constantly chasing this moving goalpost and you're never enough. So you're anxious all the time and you're never inhabiting and being at one with your own body. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, great compassion to everybody because <laughs> we have been programmed by orthodox power structure, <laughs> people selling stuff, you know, in the fear of, of not having enough. So they sell stuff and manipulate the public. It's, it's, a, it's an old game, you know. And but also, but we, I think we also, Mark, have to then take onus for our own complicitness with the, the power structure because there are certain things that are so ingrained now. Oh, my goodness, my knee is hurting me. I'm just getting old. Oh, I'm having a senior moment. Um, uh, what else? Oh my God, she looks good for her age. Exactly. Um, well, that's okay for her age. What, what's all that about? Well, you know, I actually have people that I'm completely intimate friends with of all ages. I don't discriminate in terms of age. I, I have as much joy and as much insight and everything and communion with the oldest of old and the youngest of young. And for me, that's been really liberating to not have a barrier in terms of, of age. And I, I think we have to question our own because are we telling a seven-year-old who is constantly forgetting where they put something, constantly yeah. careless, <laughs> are we saying to them they're having a senior moment? I don't think so. <laughs> right? Well, so just- we, 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 it's reprogramming is what I'm saying. We have to, we have to really pay attention to our prejudices, our own prejudices around aging. Mm-hmm. It's so fortunate for this world that you have had victory over all these issues of racism, sexism, ageism. There's probably some, or attractivism is another one, uh, looking, um, aligning yourself to the 
latest media uh, image of the of supreme beauty, <laughs> and how everybody, of course, cannot be that. So that sets up this this more and less uh, psychology in the in and emotions in in the world in women and in men. And you've had victory over all of those isms, and I would like to know how that happened for you. How, I mean, you, you're a clear voice, you're, you have had victory, you are an exception to the usual life in the United States. How did that happen, Karen? Right, well, I, I have to really also acknowledge my privilege. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I have benefited from my physicality. There is no doubt about it. Yeah. Had I been born to look a different way or uh, a different time, I would have had, you know, a different trajectory. So yeah. I have to completely acknowledge my privilege. And so when you say victory, um, you know, in a way, I have been in, in lots of ways physically what was acceptable and desirable in some ways, right? Uh, but why I didn't... I guess what you're asking, Mark, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, why did I feel the need to go deeper and probe deeper and to find yeah. meaning in other ways? Um, I attribute that to my family, honestly. And it's, 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 it sounds a little cliche, but seriously, my, I, you know, I never grew up hearing, oh, she's, you're so beautiful. My father never told me or my mother never told me, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. Oh, darling. You're, but I just knew they knew that I was beautiful or that I was lovely. But more importantly, my parents, they, they couldn't give a toss about that, but they really cared if I had good moral character. If I used my mind, my father would always say, you know, Karen, my parents are Jamaican. He says, Karen, I want you to use what's in your head, not what's on it. Because what's on it can fade and be taken away. What's in your head, you'll be able to take that forever. So I put out, my value was never on my physicality. And, um, and then the other thing is, is that both my parents ha have, not had, but have a strong sense of being, um, contributing to the communities that they live in and serve. Right. So in, in their own ways, they modeled how I wanted to be in the world. They probably didn't articulate it like this. I don't think my parents woke up in the morning and said, how can I serve? But honestly, just through their example, I saw how they served. Right. And it was always very strongly community-centered. Um, and, you know, it was it, their, their, their work ethic, their dedication to, to others, all those things, I took it really strongly and I carried that throughout. Right. And so I, I think that it's not so much a mastery of those worlds, but not allowing those word, worlds to define me. And instead, I was defined by the blueprint that my parents set out for me. And then as I became an adult, of course, I refined that blueprint based on my own, you know, personal experiences and, and trajectory. Got it. I got it. You, at some point, you were no longer defined by the patterned roles and the you know, the interfacing patterned presumptions of one person to another, you know, one group to another, that, that sort of, uh, you know, the local patterning of complex circumstance was no longer your identity. 
and that was given to you by good people in this world, this realization that you are life itself. You are the power of the cosmos. Right, but, but I am, but, but at the same time, they, they instilled in me a real sense of justice. So that when I, I grew up in Jamaica initially, my formative years, and then I was in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. And um, I, it was a very homogeneously white world. I, I knew all the people of color in Toronto at the time. I felt like I knew them all. And if we saw a person of color who I'd never seen before, I remember with my brother and I would say, mommy, 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 look, there's a black person. There's a, a, a this person, there's that person, because they were so rare to see that. This is a long time ago. Toronto is totally different now. Yeah. And what my mother and father would do is, if there was ever an incident that happened and it didn't happen to us, my parents would say, you see, this is happening. And they would make us feel that this is happening to us. So we, we, not to them, but to us. So we had a sense of that is not right. And what happens to someone else is happening to me. And I'm going to give a toss and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight for them. And so so they gave me a sense of, yes, you are the power of the cosmos. But at the same time, they said, if injustice is happening, you have to. It is your duty to stand up and fight for that on behalf of someone else who cannot fight. Because that is like happening to you. I love that, Karen. You don't go into some spiritual inner place, you know, uh, dissociated from the disturbance. You engage the disturbance with your full consciousness, with your your uh, inherent love of life that everything is happening in the unitary <laughs> reality. So you step forth into injustice. That's right. Kind of a, in a way like embrace that, not, not uh, dissociate from it. You no, know? you can't. I, I'm, there's no ivory castle that I was able to, you know, to, to run away and forget about the woes of the world. And, right. and, I, and I have to say that in many people in the quote unquote spiritual community, oh, I don't watch the news, or I don't pay attention. And I, I don't like to judge, but I can't imagine saying I'm a spiritual person if I'm dissociated from what was going on with humanity. Yeah. And, it's, you know, we go back to not wanting to look at the ugly, the painful. Yeah, a lot of it's ugly and a lot of it's painful. A yeah. lot of it is just horrible. But not looking at it is not an option for me. Yeah, well, the great weight of spiritual and religious advice and even yoga advice these days is to reside as awareness in a sort of an inner place. Uh, and there's the, the outside disturbed world and then the, the one who is aware of that and to abide as that awareness. And that's not actually yoga teaching, this inner residing. The yoga is the embrace of experience and to outshine experience with your with the inherent love that is life itself, the inherent right. consciousness that embraces all objects, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. all justice. And I see you doing that uh, in, in, in real terms. That, that meeting that we had in London uh, not so long ago, uh, you were doing this I am campaign. And I loved that because mm -hmm. the I am was the mantra. I am, I am life itself. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. whatever I am comes as a phrase after I am, but you know, mm -hmm. I am embraces all conditions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I thought that was a lovely campaign and congratulations for doing that. 
Thank you. No, and it, 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 it's right. I, and my statement was, I am you, me, they, us. Yes. You know, and because and, and that's going back to my parents again. You know, yeah. um, or even my grandmother, who I remember once, Mark, my grandmother, who was now she was a real seer. I mean, this woman was no joke. She spoke in tongues and could oh. prophesy. I mean, she was just she was heavy duty. Um, descendant of a maroon, which were escaped slaves. She was fierce. And my grandmother, um, I, she was looking over a balcony where she lived and she asked me, um, Wh- whose child is that? And I said, oh, grandma, somebody else's child. And she told me, no, darling, no child is somebody else's child. Right. And that's, that's, that's the reason why any, if there's an injustice somewhere, it's an injustice everywhere. Oh if, if, if you're right. So it's, it's our responsibility. And if we, these are times right now where I don't know about where you are, but gosh, we're in the U S and we're about to have an election in a very divided time in American history. And I don't want people to believe the same thing that I do. I want us to be able to hold space for differences I want to be able to learn from someone who is not like me at all, but I also it, I want them to be able to see me and people who look like me and, and respect me and people who look like me as I respect them and people who look like them. Yeah. And the only way we're going to have a healing is if we truly embrace differences. Karen, thank you so much. I feel like I just had a visitation by your grandmother. Whoa, <laughs> thank you. That, that deliverance about all children, you know? Yes. All children. children. But th- that's the energy so we need right now. No, it's, it's she, I, she comes to me all the time with that energy. And, and I, was, I was saying to you, Mark, that uh, if we were able to think about that when we encounter someone of difference, that yep. no child, no person is somebody else's child. We are them. They are us. And yep. it, would, it, would, it would make such a difference in our communication and the way that we accept and embrace difference. And we, we, we hold space for people who are, you know, on different sides of the fence. That's okay for discourse yep. and for disagreement. And, but it's not okay to hate. It's not okay to, to persecute someone because they're not on your side. And there's so much of that now. And it's like a return to love. It's like it's, we started off the conversation about love and it really is. We need a return to love. And Karen, if the world doesn't in your country and around the world doesn't pick up on this in the next week or so, what you're saying and the, and the dreadful patterns grind on, how are you going to be in the midst of it? Can you please tell me that? If the politics, if the results in your country aren't what we all desire and some of this, uh, this vulgar patterning continues, how are you going to be in this life? Mark, I think I invoked Maya Angelou when I said, you know, still I'll rise. Right. Thank you. I don't have a choice. You yeah. know, I wish that we all had a choice to cower and to collapse in fear. I mean, I trust me, I am all for collapsing to repose, to yeah. sort myself out. I'm all for a good cry, a good scream. I am totally on board for that, but yeah. I can't take residence in that space. 
Right. Thank you. I'm deeply heart moved, Karen, to hear your voice and be in your company in this world, on this globe, on this one earth. I want to tell you that the most impressive thing to me about you is that you, in your lifetime, met Bob Marley. <laughs> that, I mean, really, our, <laughs> our great, you know, one of our great reality realizers, you know, Bob, and you, you lived in, 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 um, in, his in Jamaica. City. Yeah. 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 Okay. No, it was, so it was in the 1970s and that's when I lived in Jamaica. I grew up there. My formative years were all spent in Jamaica, as I mentioned. And um, Bob Marley, see, at the time, the Rastas were not really looked on favorably in Jamaica. They had yeah. to leave Jamaica to, 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 to go to England and other places before we really appreciated them. But yeah. they would drive around in what I thought was a Bob Marley and the Whalers car. A BMW, yeah. of course. I yeah, thought yeah. BMWs were Bob Marley and the Whaler. And <laughs> seriously, I, that's what I thought. And, um, BMW. And he, I get it. Yeah, BMW. That's his car. Um, yeah. And who knew that, you know, the, the other people were, were driving it too? I didn't know that. Yeah. And I, this was the, the height of political strife and turmoil in Jamaica. And uh, yeah. he, Bob Marley was incredibly instrumental in brokering a peace deal between the two opposing parties, the PMP and the JLP. In any event, yeah, man, I met Bob and it was not a big deal because at the time, you know, I was going to imagine any of them saying, no, man, it's some Rasta man, little Rasta yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and That's who it. knew? But, but this, is, this is, it's the sages. It's what we said in the beginning. We sometimes don't know the power and, you know, of what's walking right beside us until yeah. after the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back in that time, he was just a rustam man, even an a underprivileged person of the community. He's just well, at that time, no, 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 no. But no, no. If he was driving a BMW, now oh, that my adult eyes, he was definitely, he'd gotten some success. But was he, was he considered respectable in the colonized Jamaican mentality, middle class or upper middle class mentality? Of course not. Little right. Rasta man driving a BMW, man, why you, pull, why you don't comb his hair and ting and ting and ting? I mean, you could just imagine it, right? And now, of course, he is certainly, if not Jamaica's, you know, most revered export, but certainly one of them. He's a national treasure. Yeah, and one of the great deliverers of this world, you know, deliverance and some of his mantras that he's put into the world, you know. One Absolutely. love, one heart, let's get together, it'll be all right, you know. yes. Yes, simple. And you know what it is, too? He found a way to speak simply to on very profound matters. Yeah. And I think that's what part of his enduring power. Yeah, and no woman, no, don't cry. Don't cry. Yeah. I do, yeah. you know, I never met anybody who met Bob Marley, so I'm happy to be in your company. <laughs> and, I wish and, I was older because I would have been able to appreciate it more. But, you know, how opportunities like that are lost on people who are young. I, I was impressionable, but not old enough to really like have, have, have milked it for everything, you know? Yeah. And, you know, his stand in the world that 
and he continues to stand, you know, is your message about there is no letting up until, you know, uh, there is justice, until all men and women are judged equal, when it's not just an ideal, this purpose continues in our world. You know, there's no rest from uh, putting, that in, putting that in place for humanity. And that's the position that you've, the stand that you've made. And I admire it very, very much. No, absolutely. There is no rest. I mean, listen, I come from a strong tradition of people who fought to even have the ability to be here. Um, yep. Whether it's my, you know, if my grandmother was a descendant of Maroon, then my great-great-grandmother was a Maroon, or grandfather was a Maroon, and they had to fight for their freedom. And so if this little stuff that I'm having to deal with is is what I have to deal with, then so be it. I have it easy. As I said, I, I it's privilege. But what do we do with our privilege beyond acknowledging it is really the thing. Yeah, well, I think you you represent the ending of those karmas of suppression in your own family line. Uh, you've had victory, and that you know you've ended the vulgar patterning that was imposed upon uh, your family uh, through the ages. Uh, however, uh, now you speak uh, for that for the for all other people, and so you you the karmas have come to an end in your own case, and now you're you're in a position to bring them to an end for, for the world. Mm. And, I, and I tell you, Mark, um, in our closing, there's a really beautiful exercise that I often do with, with women. And, you know, women, especially women who come from traditions of struggle or strife, or which we all do pretty much, um, where we've had to fight, 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 fight. And we're trying to, you know, to kind of, um, we want to be able to carry the, the the generational of strength that our ancestors have carried, but at the same time, we want to be able to release what we don't we don't need anymore. And what I I do is I you know I just tell people wherever they are just to you know feel their their feet against a chair or the floor or their back against the ground, and you know paying attention to their breath as you would with a normal breath exercise. But I asked them to invite the their mothers into their you know their 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 third eye into the space between their 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 eyebrows and mm. then invite their mother's mother and then if they knew their mother's mother's mother and as far back as they can remember invite these women to come into the space and yeah. to imagine whether you're lying or standing all these women or men around you just all of them around you. And you have this beautiful golden thread that you're connected to all of them. And then you just have them and you, you step forward, step forward and start walking, but you still have the cord. You still have the thread and you just keep walking as far as you can see. And we see through our third, through that space between our forehead we can see into infinity because it's all our imagination. So in imagine you're walking to an endless horizon and you have this beautiful, long, golden thread that ties you to everything that you need. But whatever you don't need, you let it go. It's almost as if you're dropping. You see yourself like, you know, like, like releasing parts of your clothing and just letting it float away, not putting any attention on it going away, just walking, walking, walking. 
And I, I use that because I want to give people a visual representation that they can come back to where we can release any ancestral trauma that we no longer need with every breath, with every visualization. And then we can hold on to all the strength, all the things that we feel like we need to walk ahead into our life. Thank you so much, Karen. It is received and felt. And I'm remembering my mother and her mother. Mm. These are the ones that I knew. And it goes way, mm -hmm. way, way back. And mm -hmm. they, are, they are batting for us, you know. They're cheering yeah. us on. We're doing it for them. And perhaps we have some uh, social conditions that uh, support us in uh, delivering into this world what they did their best to bring forth as well. But they definitely yeah. had some restrictions, some dis social disadvantages that we're gradually uh, dealing to and releasing and stepping forward, as you just told us to. So I thank yeah. you so much for that, you know, with the power, this nurturing power of life in us, as us, surrounding us, supporting us. Uh, we do that in this world for ourselves, for our families and for the community and for the entire globe. Uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank thanks. you so much for, for having this chat. It's so lovely to speak with you. Yeah. Well, I look forward to talking to you soon. And we will put this out as a, uh, a, a conversation on this world for other people to listen to. And I'm very grateful for your company this lifetime, Karen. Likewise, my dear. And, and love to you and to Rosalind. Thank you so much, both of you, for inviting me to share it today. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Yoga podcast. If you'd like to make this a two-way conversation, either in person or online, have a look at heartofyoga.com. And we're very grateful for the support of the Heart of Yoga Foundation, and that is completely sustained by donations. So if you'd like to help this podcast continue, you can also donate on the website. Thank you so much.